Good morning, church. And thank you so much to John, James, and the worship team, but also just thank you, Jesus, for your presence, which is the greatest source of our joy. And uh, in worship already, it feels as though the Lord has been preparing our hearts for this, this word. And so it is my privilege and pleasure to be bringing it to you this morning. Once upon a time, there was a father who spoke to his younger son, and he said to his son, go and tidy your room. And this naughty little blighter went to his very messy room, and he looked around, and then he started analyzing every word that his father had just said, go and tidy your room. And then he thought, you know what, let me get some friends around. Got his friends there, and, and they all discussed together what it meant to go and tidy your room. They decided to translate it into a few different languages as well. It was quite fun. And if anybody else wanted to know, they could also hear what the father had said. Go tidy your room. They began drawing up a picture of what their room might actually look like if it were tidied. And in the end, the boy got punished. <laughs> the reason I'm telling you this story is because we have a text this morning which is very familiar to us. It is a text which I'm sure many of you have read, many of you can probably quote it verbatim, you've prayed through this text, you love this text, and there is a caution with things that we're familiar with, that we might go to our connect groups, to our small groups, our Bible studies, we might look into the Koine Greek, we might look and do and think all of these things, but if we don't actually apply it to our life, the blessing is not there. The Lord Jesus said, blessed are those who do what I have said. Not those who just hear, not those who gather in groups, but those who actually really take God's word and say, unless I apply this to my life, there will not be blessing. And so without further ado, we are going to Philippians chapter 4, verse 4 to 7. It says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. My first point for this morning is that Jesus Christ is our eternal joy. And my goodness, if you have not experienced the joy of Christ while we've been worshiping him this morning, he is here, he's in the building, and um, he is the one that we rejoice in most. When Paul goes, he says, rejoice in the Lord always. He is not speaking about one or two other things in our life that we might find happiness in. He's speaking about the person of the Lord Jesus. And I have listened to quite a few debates between Christians and atheists, and one of the things that you often hear them bring up is, man, your Bible is just a book written by people to try and control the masses just to sort of keep everybody in line. It is a natural book. And if you look at the context this morning, you see what Paul finds himself in, you will know beyond a shadow of a doubt that the Bible is supernatural. Paul finds himself in a prison, a dark dungeon, essentially. He has not got any rights. Even his freedom of movement has been completely stripped away from him. And yet we see Paul rejoicing out of his mind. It's not natural. This is not something that you will just fall upon as a Christian. It is a beautiful spiritual discipline that if you apply, if you learn to grow in this area, it will lead to the sort of rejoicing that you see 
in the life of Paul. We see joy throughout uh, the Bible, but you see even in just a small, short little letter written to this church in Philippi, the word rejoice and joy is used 16 times. And the reason is because joy is a direct byproduct of being in the presence of God. You know that from worship this morning. I'm willing to bet that many of you know this even during the week. It's not like we only experience this on Sundays. When you've had a rough day and you open God's word, it revives your soul. As God speaks to you, he brings you a great rejoicing and it gives you fuel in your soul to carry on regardless of what you are going through. We see the same thing evident in the life of the psalmist. In Psalm 16 verse 11, he says, You make known to me the path of life and in your presence there is fullness of joy at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Do you notice what he says there? He says, in your presence, there is a fullness of joy. Church, there are so many different things that we can find joy in this morning. We can find joy in the little things, the temporary things that satisfy to a certain degree that is small and tiny and temporary. But what we see in that one verse from Psalm written by King David, a king who could have any joy at his fingertips, says, no, 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 better than the wine and the grain, better than the alcohol, better than anything else in all of creation, is the presence of God has a fullness of joy. And at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. And so don't settle for anything less than the greatest joy that you could possibly have this side of eternity or that side. Jesus makes his presence available to you now. And that is why we can look at Paul and we can see they've chained him, they've beat him up, they've stoned him. He's left for dead. And yet what he has made, the anchor of his joy, is the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is a firm foundation because it can never be stripped away from him, which is why you can do all of those things. You can harm his body, you can kill his loved ones, you can even try and kill him and not succeed. And yet all he can experience is more and more joy because it is the love of Christ, like a mountain, a a cascading waterfall from heaven just flooding into the soul of Paul. And all he can say is, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. It is repeated because it is important. When I was a little student pilot at 43A school outside Port Alfred. There were certain checks that you did, and the most important checks you did often. Every 30 minutes, you would set an alarm, and you would make sure that you were doing exactly what your instructor or instructors told you. And those checks would include things like your altimeter, you check how high you are, you check your course, check your speed, all the usual things. But always, the one that was the most important is you check where your fuel is coming from. Always. In a plane that has two fuel tanks, one on either wing, if you forget this, you will eventually find that as you come into land, you're trying to land a plane. It's not going to happen. You will either not land or it's going to be brutal. Church, what we do is the same in our walk with Christ. Check where your fuel is coming from. Make sure that it is all coming from the person of Jesus Christ. When he goes and he says, rejoice in the Lord always, he's saying that there should be a perpetual rejoicing in our heart, but also rejoice in him. Not in all of these other things. They are an inferior fuel, and you will struggle to land. Paul goes on, and he says, Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. 
your reasonableness. Other translations use the word gentleness. Let your gentle reasonableness be known to the outside world. Now, some people out there in the world might perceive this as some sort of a weakness, but actually what we do when we are gently reasonable with people is we are displaying the character of Christ to a lost and fallen world. Being gentle and reasonable is not something that just naturally is found out there in the world. And that's why he lands on the Lord is at hand. The Lord is at hand. He is with you. His presence goes with you. Do not quench and grieve his spirit. Be gentle. Be reasonable with people. And I opened up this point with speaking about these these debates, apologetics debates between Christians and atheists. You must know that many, many people have been won to Christ, not necessarily by this most powerful argument or the way that with logic you push them into a corner, but by the fruit of the Spirit and the love of Jesus Christ flowing through his children. And that is why we are to know, be gentle and reasonable, the Lord is at hand. My second point for this morning is the greatest hindrance of our joy. See, Paul knows that it's not going to be easy and that it doesn't come naturally. But when we hear about this, we see how he's actually walking this out, given his circumstances. It gives us pause and we go, wait, how do we get that? And Paul has an answer for us, and it's not easy. Paul says that it is going to be our anxiety, the thoughts that we contend with in our mind, that stop us from rejoicing in the Lord always. So this is what he says in verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Now, some of us might think that that feels a little bit unfair. That we are anxious and Paul goes, hey, don't be anxious. Thanks, Paul. It's fixed now, right? It's not how it works. But I think a great place for us to start is to recognize what's the difference between fear and anxiety. Because if you go and you look at fear, fear is something that is a very real threat against your life. It is if you're standing on the top of a building and there's no railings and you look over and you just get that feeling in your stomach and it goes, take a step back. This could actually save your life. It's if you and your, your friend are walking through the Kruger National Park and all of a sudden a lion appears, you try to outrun your friend, that could save your life. <laughs> that is what fear is. But that is not what Paul is speaking about this morning. What Paul is speaking about is anxiety. See, what anxiety is, is a perceived threat. It is us looking forward sometimes many days in advance and going, I almost want to fear in advance. You know, nothing has happened yet, but what if they respond in this way? Then how am I going to counteract what they say? How am I going to get there? Or when we start going, man, it's about the third or the fourth of the month, and I might not have enough money right at the end of the month. And so we start trying to come up with plans to get money and save money and sell things and do things. And we get anxious. And Paul says, that is not how we are to live as Christians. We are not to be anxious people. And if you struggle with having conversations in your mind with people that have not yet actually said anything to you, might I just suggest a short book by Tim Keller called The Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness. It's about 50 pages. You'll finish it in a day, and it'll change your life forever. But what Paul does here is he doesn't just say, hey, don't be anxious. He goes straight into the, the solution to the problem. He says, but in everything... 
by prayer and supplication. But in everything, by prayer and supplication. What he's saying is, when you are anxious, and you will know this if you are an anxious person or if you've been around an anxious person, there is thought and emotion and vexation of soul that goes into being anxious, and it will drain you and the people that you are around. However, what Paul is saying is all that energy that would be put there, all that thought and vexation, put it into prayer before the Lord. Take all of your emotions and your thoughts and go, actually, if I lay this before Jesus, it will make a difference. And that but is important because what Paul is saying is when you hit this road and you realize you are having these anxious thoughts, you are at a crossroads. And you can choose at this point either to continue being anxious and you won't be able to keep on being anxious and rejoicing in the Lord always. Or you can go, no, no, there is another path. And that path is that I lay all of my anxious thoughts before the Lord Jesus Christ. And then I can go on rejoicing and enjoying his presence. And I just have to, I, I want to be gentle this morning and say, I know that some of us really struggle with anxious thoughts. It may be a lifelong pattern that needs to be unlearned. And you may need people to surround you and pray with you and encourage you to make sure that you start putting your faith and your trust in Christ when these anxious thoughts arise. It reminds me of um, this amazing hymn called, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. What a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. We give up such peace, such rejoicing in Christ, because we try to take everything onto our shoulders. And if we would just be reminded of what Jesus uh, says towards us in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 to 30, where he says, come to me, all of you who are heavy laden and you're burdened, come to me, I will give your souls rest. That is still something that he extends to us this morning. He says, hey, when you're anxious, come and hand these things over to me. Trust that I will do something about it. And then just go back to rejoicing in me. And this is uh, the way that we do this is with thanksgiving. The only way that you will ever be able to hand these things over to Jesus with thanksgiving is if you honestly believe that he is going to do something about it. It is through trusting Christ that you can lay these anxious thoughts to rest and go, I trust Jesus. He will take care of my situation. He loves me more than I love myself. And so I can hand everything over to him. I'm going to use Mark as an illustration. He doesn't know that I'm about to do this. This is how you know it's going to be good. And hopefully he answers correctly. <laughs> I'm sure for, for all of you, you've been in situations where you've been able to delegate or maybe hand a task over to somebody below you. And sometimes you hand over that task and then... There are some thoughts. Hey, maybe I should drop them like three WhatsApp messages. Hey, have you done it yet? Have you done it yet? Hey, are you on, you're getting onto that assignment that I gave you? Maybe drop them an email, a phone call, you know, and you keep checking on them. But I want to ask you, Mark, have you ever delegated and given a task to somebody and you just know that they're going to do it? <laughs> this is great because we work together. <laughs> And what was that based on? Why, why did you trust that they were going to do it? Because uh, he knew the person and he knew their character. Oh. 
And sometimes we know a person's track record, their history. And so because of that, you go, of course they're going to get it done, right? So what do you think it tells you when sometimes you go, I'm going to hand this over to the Lord, and then I'm going to keep on being fretful and anxious, is sometimes it shows, hey, maybe you are actually struggling to trust the Lord with this thing. If we look at the character of God, I promise you he is more reliable than any other thing that exists. And he has got a proven track record. And so we can take our anxious thoughts and we can say, I know this Jesus. I know that he loves me. If he was willing to go to the cross and die in my place, he loves me more than I love myself. And I can trust him with everything. And that will lead to our third and final point for this morning, which is the result of truly trusting God. Verse 7, it says, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. What an incredible promise this is. What a, a principle, what a thing that every single one of us would want is this peace that just surpasses all understanding. And I want you to imagine for a moment what life would be like for you if you had all power, all authority in heaven and on earth. You could do whatever you wanted, whatever you said. You clicked your fingers and it happened. Everything went your way, always. How would you feel? You would probably be the most joyful and peaceful person in all of existence, wouldn't you? Now take a moment to realize that that is who God is. He is the most joyful being that there is, and there is complete peace. When you look at the, the imagery that we're given in Revelation of things happening down here on earth, and there's frothing water because it's moving around so much, and monsters coming out of the, the water, and then it like sort of pans over to heaven, and what you see there is there was a sea of water that looked like glass. There was not even a ripple. There was complete peace in God's heart. He knows everything from the start to the end. He has written it. He knows exactly what will happen. And so though our hearts might be twisted and contorted the moment something happens, God knows exactly what will happen. Which means that when Russia goes and invades Ukraine, or when there is some instability in the Middle East, God is not chewing his fingernails wondering what's going to happen. Because he knows and we can trust him. I think the best way that I could use to explain this to you is if you would just cast your mind back to last week Saturday in this very building, Rugby World Cup, right? And what happened is we all came here and we were enjoying things and the game starts and the ref makes a few calls that go in our favor, right? And there are shouts of joy and adulation and yes, go Wayne Barnes, win it for us, you know? <laughs> and then all of a sudden, Sia Kulisi and Chesden Colby get a yellow card. And they get sent off the field. And what were our hearts doing? Ooh, whoops, no, cheers. Screams of terror erupt throughout the whole building, didn't they? But when that final whistle blew, what was there? Rejoicing. Absolute rejoicing, followed by peace. We've won. We did it. And now what happens is when you go and you watch the reruns on YouTube, there's no anxiety. We know that we've won. And so instead, what it does in our hearts and our minds is we just enjoy every moment of that game, don't we? We look at it and we go, yo, 
The way Peter Steph de Toy destroyed people when he tackled them. You are pollard with those kicks, 100%. You know, beautiful. There's just rejoicing. There is no anxiety. And the point is that exactly what Mark mentioned this morning is what Jesus Christ did at the cross is done. It's settled. He has won us. We are going to be with him in heaven for all of eternity. And now we just rejoice. We let the anxious things take care of themselves. We hand them over to the Lord. If an anxious thought comes up, what do we do? We go to Jesus. We say, Lord, I trust you and I love you. And I hand this over to you fully. I don't want to keep on trying to take it back to myself. And the promise of God in the scripture is that if you will trust God, if you will actually hand over your anxious thoughts, he will give you the same peace that Almighty God has while he sits on his throne with a sea of water that looks like glass. He will have you enjoying that peace with him. Notice what it doesn't say is hand over your prayers and God will answer with a heavenly voice and he'll explain every points in your life in fine detail. He doesn't say that. He does say, trust in me, though. And if we can do that, we will realize that we can enjoy a life with lots of rejoicing and much peace. The reason we go to financial advisors is because they are better at handling money than we are. The reason we go to car mechanics is because we don't know much about cars and they know lots. And so when we come to the author of life, we submit our whole life to him because he does actually know better. And so we leave it with him. We don't argue with God about what should or shouldn't happen. We trust that he knows what is best. It was great to hear that in the Afrikaans community in Bloemfontein, they came up with a phrase, Rasi always has a plan. And whether it was 5-3, or 7-1, or if he pulled out an 8-0 for the split, who knows? But this Afrikaans community learned that actually our coaches know far better than we do what, we are, what they should do. And they learn to just trust and go, ah, Rossi has a plan. And the results speak for themselves. May I remind you this morning that God has a plan for you. God loves you. And he will bring all things together to glorify his name and for your good. As I wrap up this morning, I think that there are a few, a few different ways we can apply this message. And the first one is that we need to learn to rejoice in the Lord always. And the way that you do that is by viewing Christ clearly. And sometimes we struggle to do this. You know, we think that maybe if we just pray for a lot of joy, then we will get joy. Maybe if we fast and pray for it, it'll magically appear. That's not true. It is by beholding Jesus that your soul is transformed from one degree of glory to the next. And so I'm going to help you to just start. Often throughout the Psalms, there is this foreshadowing of Christ that gives you a glimpse of who Jesus is and what he did for you and me. And one of the places that we can do that is in Psalm 69, verse 20 and 21, speaking prophetically about Jesus on the cross in your and my place. It says, reproaches have broken my heart so that I'm in despair. I looked for pity, but there was none. And for comforters, but I found none. They gave me poison for food, and for my thirst, they gave me sour wine to drink. When you look to the cross of Christ, you will see a person who loves you far more than you love yourself. A person who was willing to be utterly forsaken so that you never will be. 
a person who was fed with poison and sour wine when they needed something to drink so that he would feed you with good things when you need something. He sticks closer than a brother. He is almighty God, and he loves you with a love that will never run out. And so as you learn to rejoice in the Lord, it's going to come from seeing who Jesus is. The next thing that we need to know is that when you go through hard times in life, you will always end up retreating into your joy. Always. If you look at some people, they rely on the wrong things. And so when they come across a tough time, they might run off and chase alcohol, chase gambling, chase hopping in and out of relationships because they find joy in those things. And so when life gets bad and it starts weighing you down, they start looking for joy wherever it is. And those things are ultimately destructive to you as well as the people around you. However, if your greatest joy is the Lord Jesus Christ, you go through a tough time, you will retreat closer and closer into the person of Jesus Christ. And he will build you up. He will raise you up. And it will be good for you as well as for all the other people in your life. We are to make him our greatest, our greatest joy. The next step for some of you is going to be my second point. It's the greatest hindrance of our joy is those anxious thoughts. And sometimes we struggle so much to hand those over to God and to leave them there. And for you, we would love to pray for you this morning. And so I'm going to close in prayer soon, but I would love to pray for you. And we've got elders lining the front here. We've got deacons who can pray for you and encourage you. And we are wanting to help you to lay these thoughts before the Lord so that you can leave the church rejoicing and enjoying the presence of God. And finally, some of you may have heard about this peace that is on offer for us today. And you're like, man, what do I do to get that? You simply apply point one and two. You rejoice in the Lord always. And the moment these anxious thoughts come, you lay them before the Lord, and then you go on rejoicing and enjoying Him. Let us pray. Lord, you have placed more joy in our hearts than anything else in this world is even capable of offering. And Lord, we, we want to say this morning that we love you. We appreciate all that you do for us. And when we consider how you went to the cross in our place so that we would never have to struggle, we would never have to um, be cast off from the Father, Lord, our hearts begin to rejoice in you. Lord, I, I want to pray for those who really struggle with anxiety, who really take these thoughts back into their own lap. Lord, I pray that you'd speak to them this morning and that they'd be bold enough to come before you to lay their anxious thoughts before you. We pray that you'd help us to be a people that are marked by the supernatural rejoicing and that we would be bright lights in a dark world as you point people to Christ. We ask this in your wonderful name. Amen.